Well, open your Bibles before I get started here to Galatians 5. We looked at this text, and I want to pick up there and go on from there. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We'll look at some other scriptures, so keep your Bible handy so you can go with us. Because here at first, especially, we're going in a hurry. Galatians chapter 5, the 22nd and 23rd verses. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, or actually the Greek said faithfulness instead of faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Now we're talking about spiritual development, cultivating the human spirit, growing spiritually, and uh, actually you just simply can't grow unless you grow in the fruit of the spirit. But I've said this to you, and I want to reiterate some things I've said and then go from there, that Paul is speaking not of the Holy Spirit. The translators capitalized the letter S there and made it spirit. But he's talking about the fruit of the recreated human spirit. This is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't bear fruit. We are the fruit-bearing part. We are the branches of the vine. Remember what Jesus said in John's Gospel, this 15th chapter? I am the true vine and my father is a husbandman. And he went on to say, abide in me and I in you, the fourth verse. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. Well, now where does the fruit grow? It grows on the branches. The fruit that he's talking about here is the fruit of the born-again, recreated human spirit. It grows in our spirits because of the life of Christ within. Now, for instance, we call your attention to the very first fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And that's the very way that you know you're saved. That's the first fruit that shows up in the born-again, recreated human spirit. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples because you have loved Jesus, said one for another. And then John said, we know that we pass from death unto life, 1 John 5. How do we know it? Because we love the brethren, praise God. And another one was peace. I called your attention that Romans 5, 1 said, therefore being justified by faith are made righteous by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, hallelujah. And so we are the fruit-bearing part. We are branches of the vine. And the, the recreated human spirit linked up with Christ, grafted into the vine, is the fruit-bearer. And we should desire, that should be the desire of every born-again Christian, to know how to develop the recreated born-again spirit to know how to develop your spirit and to grow, blessed be God. Amen. Can you say amen? amen. Here are some thoughts, and we left these with you, and, and I'm going to reiterate them hurriedly, that I think can help us to, to walk the way God wants us to walk, to live like he wants us to live, and to develop spiritually. You'll notice here that the very first fruit of this born again, recreated human spirit, the very first fruit is love. You noticed that, didn't you? It's love. Well, if, if you'll walk in love, 
You'll be developing yourself spiritually, developing your spirit. And uh, not only that, but if you'll walk in love, it will solve many of the problems that we face in life. Many of the human relationship problems which we thought almost were impossible. You remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, and we read the King James translation last night, but I like the Amplified translation, and I have it here before me tonight. I would suggest that every Christian get the Amplified translation and you read and meditate every single day for 30 solid days on 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 8. Meditate on it and practice it, and you will grow so much until you almost pinch yourself and say, is this really me? Now, notice what he said. King James translates it charity. That's, that's to be regretted. It's actually the Greek word for love. I'm reading Amplified now. Love endures long and is patient and kind. I said a lot of people endure long because they have to. They're not very kind. They're patient either while they do it. But he said love, that's the first fruit of the human spirit, born again spirit. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious and boils over with jealousy. Some of you wives need to read that every day as well as husbands. Isn't, don't shout me down now just because I'm <laughs> preaching here. Again. Is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It, love, is not conceited, arrogant and inflated with pride. It, love, is not rude or unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own ways. It is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful are resentful. Well, that fruit of love sure does need to grow in our spirits, doesn't it? <laughs> Hallelujah. It can. Love takes no account of the evil done to it, pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It, love, does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. Glory to God, you got it made. Hallelujah, when you walk in love. Bears up under anything and everything that comes. Is ever ready to believe the best, not the worst, the best of every person. It loves, hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. No wonder he said love never fails. Hallelujah. And love is the first fruit of the born again human spirit. Praise God forevermore. Well, Jesus, we know this much is our example. He lived in love. He lived in the realm of love. He spoke love. His words were love filled. His acts, his deeds grew out of love. You know, he could not help healing the sick. Love drove him to it. He could not help feeding the multitude. Love compelled him, bless the Lord. Concerning the Holy Spirit, Jesus said in John 14, verse 16 and 17, and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter or helper that he may abide with you forever. Now notice 
this comforter, our helper, Jesus calls him the spirit of truth, 17th verse. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. John 15, 26. But when the comforter is come, the helper, whom I will send unto you from the Father, now notice again, even the spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. John 16, verse 13 and 14. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Verse 14. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. Now, like another translation, it said he will guide you into all reality. In fact, the other translation, instead of calling him the spirit of truth, calls him the spirit of reality. That's the one work of the Holy Spirit is to guide us into the truth of God, into the reality of the truth of the word of God. The spirit of God is to do that. Now, he's not going to guide you into natural human thinking and natural human knowledge. But you see, the knowledge that he brings is revelation knowledge, knowledge that's revealed to us. We couldn't get it from any other source, but from the word of God. He is going to take those wonderful truths in the Pauline revelation and make them a reality in your life. Well, you can readily see in order for that to happen, in order for the Spirit of God to take those wonderful truths and the Pauline revelation and make them a reality in your life, it'll be necessary that you know what's in there. It'll be necessary that you feed on that word. It'll be necessary that you set apart a time for meditation. We talked about in one of the other lessons that God said to Joshua right at the very beginning of his ministry for him not to let the words of the law depart out of his mouth, but to meditate therein day and night. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. And you and I should not let the word of God, the new covenant, the new testament, depart out of our mouth. No one told me to do it. I realized that I was unconsciously led. We are consciously led sometimes by the Spirit of God, but sometimes some of the greatest things that ever happened to us, we weren't even conscious of any leading. We were just unconsciously led. And I can remember way back there just as a boy, just as a teenager, I don't know why come me to do it other than I was unconsciously following the Spirit of God. But I've always lived in the epistles. I just reason like this. These are the letters that are written to me. I want to find out, bless God, what wronged me in my feeding in my feeding, in my own private meditations. You look in any Bible I have and you'll find that all the New Testament's worn. And if you look at it closely, you'll find that most of the wear is in the epistles because that's where I live. Praise God, I want to know what belongs to me. I want to grow in spirit and in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's only there that you're going to find it. Did you ever stop to think about it? The four gospels are just simply a history of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. You couldn't live in the four gospels and be a successful Christian to save your life. If you just read the four gospels and that's all, you wouldn't even know what Jesus died for. Now you think you would, because you've already read the epistles. Are you listening to it? And when you read that, you read a lot in there. No, how would you know when the apostles themselves didn't know? 
John himself, when he rushed out there to the tomb on that resurrection morning, him and Peter, when, when Mary came and said, they've taken him away and we don't know where they laid him. And Peter and John ran out there. John called himself that other disciple and he is a smaller man than Peter and he outran Peter and got there first and Peter was a little bit more uncouth and so John stopped the Jews. They have great respect for the dead and for, for the sepulchers and so he stopped even though the stone was rolled away and didn't go in. And Peter come lumbering along behind him and just tube down one on in to the sepulcher and then John stepped in behind him and John said when that other disciple called himself saw the grave coals lie then he believed for as yet he knew not that he must be raised from the dead. You say how come they didn't know? Well you wouldn't have known either if you'd have been with him. Are you listening to me? And even the disciples said to Jesus again for he ascended on high and sat down at the right hand of the Father wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They didn't know about the plan of salvation that God had planned. They could see him dying on the cross, but they couldn't see behind the scenes what was happening in his spirit and where Jesus went when he left here and where he came out of hell. Blessed be God with the, with the keys of hell. Praise God. We get that revelation over in the epistles, in the Pauline epistles. And I've always, I mean, as a teenager, I started living over there. And I've always meditated over there. And I've just never had the problems, I think, that other people have. I started living for God as a teenager, just 17 years old. And I was Baptist to begin with, but I lived just as good and straight and clean then as I do now. One of my favorite scriptures, I got a hold of it on the bed of sickness, was 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creature. When I got off of the bed of sickness, I told everybody I met, I'm a new creature. They said, you're a new what? They said, well, I joined the church one time. I said, I did too. But I was the same old creature after I joined as it was beforehand. But blessed be God, I'm a new creature now. And they'd want to know about that. They'd want to know about it. And I'd start preaching to them. And before you know it, I had a congregation every day on the streets of the 17-year-old boy. Praise God, just to preach it to them. At school, they wouldn't let us into the building till a certain hour. We didn't have buses and all that. We had to walk to school. And nearly every morning, I'd stand on the school steps and preach to them. Praise God, at 17 years of age. I didn't push anything off when they asked me. I told them I was a new creature, and they didn't know what that was. And I had to explain it to them. I'd preach nearly every morning on the school steps. And before you know it, man, you'd have a crowd around there. Or somebody said, they'd have stopped you nowadays. No, they wouldn't. There's not enough devils in hell to stop me. Amen. The school's not putting it on. I'm putting it on myself. Amen. They didn't have a thing in the world to do with it. And so we had a Bible lesson nearly every morning. Praise the Lord. And that was one of my favorite texts. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Now, you wouldn't find out who you were in Christ by reading the four Gospels, but you find that out in the epistles that because we're born again, we're in him. We're new creatures. Hallelujah. Well, notice this text now, Colossians 3.16. Here's a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. We looked at it briefly. Let's look at it again and then we'll go further. Let the word of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Remember we left off with that verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You see, under the new covenant, we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We are to abide in the Word, and the Word is to abide in us. Going back there to that 15th chapter of John's Gospel, we were reading there a moment ago where Jesus said, 
abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Now notice the seventh verse. If ye abide in me, if ye abide in me, and my words, and my words, and my words, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Now notice that. I said under the new covenant, we are to abide in him, he is to abide in us, his words. How does he abide in us? Through his words. And my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will. I said it, I'm gonna say it again. Whether or not your prayers are heard and answered depends more on you than it does on God. Immediately the natural mind that doesn't know the Bible won't accept that, most to reject it. Read that verse again and see if that's not what he's saying. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask whatever God wills and it'll be done unto you. No, that's not what he said. That's not what he said at all. You see, if his words abide in you, you'll know the will of God because his word is the will of God. You can't have a successful prayer life without his words abiding in you. Not just you abiding in him, but his words abiding in you. And God has given us this wonderful book called the Bible, praise God, to unveil and to reveal unto us the plan, the purpose of God, and to unveil and to reveal to us the Lord Jesus Christ, the living word. So then, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now notice the eighth verse, because it goes right along with it. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. Now, wait just a minute. We got on this, but I want to reiterate it. It's so important. Over there in Galatians, he's talking about that fruit of the recreated, born again, human spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, so on, so on. That's not the only fruit that we're to bear. I want you to notice here, he's talking about prayer fruit. Now read it. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein, see, he's still talking about the same thing. Herein. Herein means what he had just said. Herein, what he just said. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done. Herein is my Father glorified. Herein is my Father glorified of him abiding in you and his words abiding in you and you asking what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. Herein is my Father glorified. I want you to get that. Herein is my Father glorified of him abiding in you and his words abiding in you and you asking what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. See it? That you bear much fruit. This fruit that he's talking about bearing here is prayer fruit. So shall you be my disciples. If his words abide in you, it's going to lead us into the prayer life. We cannot develop. We cannot grow. We cannot cultivate the human spirit without walking in love, without living in the word, the word living in us the word of God abiding in us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You cannot cultivate. You cannot develop. 
the human spirit and grow spiritually without it leading into a prayer life and without a prayer life. And you cannot have a prayer life that it should be unless it's based upon the Word of God. Praying just to be praying will not get the job done. Oh, you're listening to me. But a real prayer life is based on God's Word. Hallelujah. And so, this will lead us into prayer, into the prayer life, and into prayer conquests. Now, turn real quickly. See what Paul said writing to the Philippians in the fourth chapter of Philippians. The fourth chapter of Philippians offers us another suggestion. Because, you see, here again, we're talking about spiritual things, not natural, not mental, not physical. The Holy Spirit didn't come to unveil mental things to us. The Holy Spirit didn't come to unveil physical things to us. The Holy Spirit came to unveil spiritual things to us. Now, notice what he says here in Philippians 4, 6 first. Be careful for nothing. Paul, I like to put it this way. The Holy Spirit through the apostle Paul said to the church at Philippi, and it applies to the church in Tulsa or wherever you are from. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now notice the seventh verse. And the peace of God, there's that word peace again. Notice back up there in our text that peace was one of the fruit of the recreated born again human spirit. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts, not only your hearts, and minds through Christ Jesus. Now be careful for nothing. That's a little blind to us. That's King James translation I read. Another translation said, in nothing be anxious. Another translation said, do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. Well, that's plain enough, isn't it? That's plain enough that God does not want his children to fret. God does not want his children to be anxious. And he tells you how not to be. Now, it's up to you to do it. In nothing, listen, we're the one that does it. In nothing are we to allow anxiety to govern us. Amen. I don't know about you, but I just always refuse to allow anxiety to govern me. Anxiety is worry. I won't let it govern me. I refuse to let it govern me. I remember after I was a Baptist boy preacher, received the Holy Ghost, spoke another tongue, came over among Pentecostal people. And every first Monday, we would have a fellowship meeting. And I'd go to these fellowship meetings. The preachers is all lined up talking about the troubles. I never talk about my troubles. I don't have any. I turn them over to him. The Bible said, cast it all your care, all your anxiety, all your worries on him once and for all. They're all lined up discussing their church problem, every other problem they, they have. And here I come along and they say to me, how goes the battle? See, there's all in the battle. I wasn't in any battle. I was in the victory. How goes the battle? I wouldn't stop and discuss it with them. I'd just wave my hand and say, man, it couldn't be better. It couldn't be better. I don't have a care and go right on by them. 
and they'd stand there and blink their eyes like a toad frog in a West Texas hailstorm. <laughs> and in the process of time, in the process of time, after they saw it working in my life, every single one of those preachers, almost every one of them, came to me for help. Like one of them said who was an official in that particular denomination. He said, you know, we used to think you was crazy because you wouldn't worry. Well, that's not a sign of being crazy. That's a sign of being intelligent. Amen. It's a sign of being crazy to worry. And he said to me at that time, now he'd become an official with the denomination. He said, I was the nearest pastor to you, or one of them at least. And I knew something about the problem in the church. And you'd go by and just wave and say, man, I don't have a care. I don't have a care. Everything's fine. He knew more about some of my problems than I did because he's more nosy than most. I mean, church problem. He's got this, and he's got that, and he's got that. And, and they got mad because I wouldn't worry. But then here he came to me. He said, some of us woke up. He said, here after my wife had a nervous breakdown, after the doctor told me here in, mid, in my mid-30s that I ought to get out of the ministry and just not preach for a while, and said, here, you just keep on going. You just keep on going. Well, I'd been testifying to him for the years that I'll never have a nervous breakdown. I'll never be unfit for, for, for service. Praise God. See, they saw it working in me. Another fellow, think about it, a young man, young pastor, 39 years old. 39 years old now. When I first knew him, he's only in his 20s, like I was. But now he's 39. And here he comes for help. Well, thank God I can help them. And he said, you've got something we don't have. Some way or another, we missed it. I mean, we didn't have enough sense to listen to you. We thought you were nuts. Because you wouldn't worry. You never had any problems. If you did, you didn't discuss them. I said, well, I turned them over to Jesus. I didn't have them anymore. He's got them. I'm not going to allow anxiety. I'm not going to allow anxiety to govern me. I refuse to do so. Remember, we first moved up here to Tulsa. I didn't want to come to Tulsa. Anyhow. Now, don't misunderstand me. I like Tulsa. Been living here. Just love it. But I didn't want to come. I had it all figured out. I had two houses down in Garland, Texas, and I was going to take one of them because it had been zoned business and turned it into the office, and when they outgrew that, I just moved it to the back of the lot and built a building up on the front of the lot, and I had another nice home, and I wanted to stay there anyhow. But the Lord said, come, and I said, okay, you said it, here you go. So we come up here. Well, buddy ran the office, you know, and I was out on the field gone all the time. He'd call me, Dad. He said, we don't have but $198 in our account, and we owe more than that. I said, glory, I said, I didn't want to go up there anyhow. Well, you going to pray? No, I said, I'm not going to pray a lick. I didn't pray one single prayer. I said, God said, go. If he's not big enough to put it over, we'll just close it down. I'll go back to Texas and tell everybody God wasn't big enough to do what he said he'd do. I'm not going to lose a wink of sleep or miss a meal about it. Amen. That's the truth about the matter. I'm not going to do it. I refuse to allow anxiety to govern me. My wife and I, some preachers in here, and after school was out last spring, we was driving around over the ground. He said, oh, 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 I know you must carry an awful burden. No, I said, I'm not carrying any burden. I'm having a big time. And right at the time I said it, we was in a financial crisis. But I drove over these ground. I said, Lord, I'm going to tell you something. You're the fellow that said do this. And I didn't want to do it anyhow. I'll tell you the real truth about it. I'd rather be out on the road to preaching. 
And so if, the, if you ain't big enough to make this go, I'm not going to pray one prayer. I'm not going to miss one lick. I'm not going to miss one meal. I'm not going to lose one wink of sleep. Anxiety will not govern me. Well, some way or another, he managed to put it over. <laughs> Without my help. I mean, what little help? Some way or another, he managed to help us here. Glory to God. Can you say amen? amen. You understand what I'm saying? Now here's this 39, bless his darling heart. Felt so sorry for him. 39 years old. Can you help me? A full gospel preacher. Born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. Tongue talker. Divine healing believing. And he said, Brother Hagin, he said, I just, I just kept going down physically. just kept going down, finding my wife and daughter. Just had one daughter said, well, I think you just ought to go and be examined, find out what's wrong with you anyway. I mean, you know, something, you know, something's the matter here. They prayed and tried to believe God, so it went. Had a complete physical checkup. He said, the doctor said to me, there's not a thing in the world wrong with you from the standpoint of disease. He said, I didn't know the doctor. He found out you got to fill out all the questionnaires, you know. They want to find out who your grandma was and your grandpa and your great-grandpa and your great-grandma. And of course, he found out because he had to fill out he's pastor. And the, the doctor said, there's nothing physically, you know, like disease or sickness. You just wore yourself out. I'll guarantee you that you've tried to carry everybody's burden in the church. And at every meal, you've eaten their burden. And every night, you slept their burden. And you carried that burden till you wore yourself out. In fact, you're only 39 years old and you've got the body of a 90-year-old man. Now, you think about that. 39 years old and the doctor said there's no disease and sickness. You're just worn out. You can wear out early. Amen. You just simply have got the body of a 90-year-old man. What am I going to do, he said. Well, I was able to help him. Thank God he got some help. And he got the word into him. And he refused to let anxiety dominate him. Friends, God does not want us to allow anxiety to govern us. Well, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to do what the Bible said. Do What did it say? But in everything. Half of the things? No. Well, just in the, in, in the little things. Now, the big things, we'll try to handle them. Oh, no, no. Well, we'll turn the big things over him. We'll handle the little things. No. In everything. In everything. In everything. In everything. In everything. Yeah, but you don't understand what all I've got to put up with. In everything. You don't understand what's happened to me, though. In everything. Yeah, but you just don't understand. I know it, but he does. I didn't write the Bible. He did. Hallelujah. Some folks don't want to be helped, though. We was out in California one time. And a fellow came to Ken Jr., Ken Hagen Jr. He wanted to talk to him after he'd preached one day or talked one day. So he took a little time and the fellow presented his problem. So on Ken began to tell him. And before he ever got through talking to him, the fellow just, just bowed up, you know, got, got angry. Well, he said, that's what so-and-so said. That wasn't what he wanted to hear. Well, Ken said, they'd already told you what the Bible said. All I'm doing is telling you what the Bible said. That's what the Bible said. Yeah, but he said, I don't want it that way. Well, he said it's that way whether you want it or not. You can't be helped if you're not going to listen to what God said about it. Are you listening to me? See, the man wanted somebody to tell him something else. 
If he'd have seen me, I'd have told him the same thing. But he bowed up at Ken, got angry, said, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to accept it. Well, he said, that's what the Bible said. He said, I don't care. I don't want that. Well, I'm not going to mess with a kook like that. <laughs> I mean, why waste your time? I was talking to a fellow one time. I'm ashamed to admit it, that anybody in Texas, you know, I'm born and raised in Texas. I'm ashamed to admit it, anybody in Texas would be that stupid. <laughs> but here came a fellow, a Sunday school teacher. Not only that, but a Sunday school teacher in a full gospel church. Think about that. <laughs> Think about that. And here he came. Well, he's a wanting help. He's a wanting, he said he did. Now, how are you going to help? I'll tell you. You notice that let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you're going to have to get the word into people if you're going to help them. If you're going to be helped, you're going to have to get the word in. You're going to have to live the word and act the word yourself. I began to tell him what the word said. In fact, I had a testament in my pocket here, my shirt pocket, and I just pulled it out and handed it to him. Handed him my testament, and I said to him, read chapter so-and-so, the whole chapter, because nearly the whole chapter is talking about what he's talking about. He read that chapter. I said, now read on into the middle of the next chapter. He read into the middle of the next chapter. You know what that fella did? Full gospel, born again, tongue talker, divine healing believer, Sunday school teacher, special singer, <laughs> and half idiot. <laughs> Must have been. Because you know what he did right in the middle of the chapter? He closed my testament and threw it down on the ground and said, I'll not have it that way. I'll not have it that way. I said, what are you talking about? Well, he said, the way it's written there. Well, I said, you don't have anything to do with having it that way. That's the way it is. Whether you want it or whether you don't want it. If you want to walk with God, just come on and say, that's it. Bless God, I accept it. I walk in the light of it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Well, the fellow wound up on the spiritual junk heap. You know exactly what happened to him. If you're going to go away from the Bible, leave the Bible, you're going to get in trouble. Can you say amen? amen. All right. In everything. How many things? Everything. How many? Everything. In nothing. Be anxious. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. Do not allow anxiety to govern you, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, unto the Father. Then, friends, we're to leave them there. That's where a lot of folks miss it. They keep praying, but they keep picking it up and taking it away from him. Leave it there. Leave it there. And God the Father declares that his peace. I like another translation. You notice, I read the King James translation. He said, if you do that, if you would not fret or have any anxiety, not let anxiety dominate you, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, notice you're closing out with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the King James said, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds 
through Christ Jesus. Now, I like this translation. It just sends a thrill to me. It said that his peace will come in like a garrison of soldiers into a turbulent country. <laughs> Woo! Glory to God. Hallelujah. I like that translation. It said his peace will come in like a garrison of soldiers in a turbulent country to quiet us. Hallelujah to Jesus. Praise his holy name. Don't you like that? Amen. Well, that's saying the same thing. Then notice the eighth verse. See, is it the sixth, seventh verse of Philippians 4? Do you wear your shout and close? Now notice that eighth verse. In this eighth verse, he tells us the things that we're to think about. Oh, yes, I'm talking about developing spiritually. You're going to have to go according to the word of God if you develop spiritually. Amen, isn't that right? You're going to have to think right. Not only pray right, but think right if you're going to develop spiritually. Now, notice what he said, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Hallelujah. We as Christians cannot grow spiritually and develop our spirits or develop our spirit life and feed on scandal. We cannot grow. We cannot develop our spirits and develop our spirit life and feed on nonsense or stories that are unseemly and expect to develop in grace. The Holy Spirit will not help you to do that. The Holy Spirit is our helper. See, King James called him a comfort. He's also, other translators said he's a helper. The Greek word paraclete one, means one called alongside to help. He'll not help you to feed on scandal. He'll not help you to feed on nonsense. He'll not help you to feed on stories that are unseemly. What's he going to do? He's going to guide you into all truth. God's truth and all reality. He's going to take the things of mine, Jesus said, and show them to you. That's what he's going to do. Well, that's what he did with Paul. Paul's got a revelation of these truths, and the Holy Spirit's going to take those truths and unveil them to you. So you see, our thinking has something to do with it. There has to be times when we sit with the Lord or get away from everything else and the hustle and the bustle of life with the Word of God and meditate on it until that word absorbs us and we absorb it, until the word is built into our mental processes as well as into our spirit man, until the word of God absolutely governs our thinking. Well, do you see what that implies? Exactly what we've already talked about. That means the renewing of our minds is absolutely necessary. The average believer's mind is not renewed. Remember the text there that we looked at in Romans? Let's look at it again. I think we'll look at it in new light this time. 
Romans, the 12th chapter, the first and second verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. Well, one translation said, which is your spiritual service. Now, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How is this transformation going to take place? By the renewing of your mind. Well, how does it come? How does the renewing of the mind come? How do I get my mind renewed? By meditating in the Word. By practicing the Word. By letting the Word of God rule me. Are you listening to me? Look at Colossians 3.10. Notice this. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10 and have put on the new man, talking about us Christians. Now notice, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now let me read that again. Too many times it falls on deaf ears. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge. One translation said is being renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Our minds are renewed after the image of him that created us. That means that the Jesus image is going to be reproduced in us until after a while we'll be able to say with Paul, it is no longer I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. The Bible said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is possible to build the very Jesus life into us and the way we build it into us is with the word. Are you listening? The word will never become a part of our lives until we act it. You can memorize it. You can quote scriptures. You can have a head full of it. But when you become a doer of the word, that's the reason James said that he that hears the word and doesn't do it has deceived himself. We've got a lot of self-deceived people, self-deluded people. They hear it, but they never do it. It's when we do it that it becomes a part of us, not because we heard it, not because we memorized it. And then as we do it, as we practice it, as we live the word, then our minds becomes renewed. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now look at Ephesians, the third chapter, the 19th verse. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Now notice this, that ye might be filled. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled. This is a spiritual something now that ye might be filled. God wants us filled. Filled with what? Filled with all the fullness of God. Hallelujah. That ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. 
What does that mean? Well, that means his fullness of love, filled with his fullness of grace, filled with his fullness of wisdom, filled with his fullness of healing, filled with his fullness of ability. Hallelujah. Go on, read the 20th verse. How he does it, how that we are filled with his fullness, according to his ability. That is the word within us. Now notice the 20th verse. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Hallelujah. According to what? The power that worketh in us. Now, if we're going to develop, that's what we're talking about is developing, growing, cultivating our spirits. Then we come to this thought. Here's something else that's necessary. According to the power that worketh in us, then we must become God inside minded. There will never be the spiritual development that there should be unless we become God inside minded. We must learn to become God inside minded. We must learn to cultivate the consciousness of his indwelling presence the presence of the living one within us. You can develop that until at every waking moment you can be conscious of that indwelling one. Notice 1 John 4, 4. It's a favorite of mine. You know it. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Oh, we quote that. We even sing about the greater one but I'm afraid too much of the time it doesn't get any further than here. Just, you know, something that sounds good. We have not cultivated that presence that's inside us. This is our source. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. That's our source. That's our comfort. That's our faith builder. The God inside is greater than any difficulty or problem outside. I like to think like that. That's thinking in line with God's word. I like to talk like that. I said the God on the inside is greater than any problem. You see, your problem is that you keep thinking about the problem. You keep thinking about the difficulty. You keep talking about the problem. You keep talking about the difficulty on the outside. Forget about the outside. The God that's inside is greater than the difficulty or the problem outside. And so instead of thinking about the difficulty and the problem outside, think about him that's on the inside. I found out when it comes to healing that it's much harder to get healed if you do need healing. If you keep thinking about the disease, if you keep thinking about how bad I'm hurting, if you keep thinking about the symptoms, you're becoming outside-minded. Now change that and become inside mind. Think about how big he is. Think about that he that's in you is the healer. Hallelujah. He that's in you is the healer. The greater one that's in you is the God that said, I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth thee. Hallelujah. He's bigger than cancer. He's bigger than tumors. He's bigger than stomach trouble, kidney trouble, heart trouble. Eye trouble, nose trouble, ear trouble, any other kind of trouble. The greater one, the greater one, the greater one. 
He's greater than disease. He demonstrated that when he was here on the earth, Jesus did. He's greater than disease. He's greater than sickness. He's greater than tests. He's greater than trials. He's greater than any force that can come against me. He's greater than any power that can come against me. Oh, hallelujah to Jesus. The church has just never become God inside mine. They couldn't act like they do. They couldn't talk like they could. They wouldn't look like they do because they'd come out of the gloomness and sadness into joy. Glory to God because they'd know the greater ones in there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me say it again. The God inside is greater than any difficulty or problem outside. Now keep thinking about the problems outside. Keep thinking on that. Keep dwelling on that and you'll shut the door on the God that's inside. But forget about what's on the outside and start thinking about him that's on the inside and just read up on what the word of God says about him on the inside and start meditating on it and then start acting like the greater ones in there. And there'll be a lift about your shoulders and there'll be a, there'll be a spring about your step and there'll be a smile about your face that'll make folks stop and look at you twice because blessed be God, you know the greater one's in there and he's in there to put you over and he's in there to make you a success and he's in there to help you. You are not left helpless and that's what Jesus said, I'll not leave you comfortless. Another translation said, I'll not leave you helpless. We're not helpless. I'll not leave you helpless. We have been fortified within. Now here is the source of all real strength. And it can become a reality to us as we meditate on it. And that's the way it's going to become a reality to us, as we meditate on it and act on it. Then another thing, if we're going to grow spiritually and develop our spirit life, it has to do, you see all of these things, God inside minded has to do with our spirits. I never in all of my life get so tired of hearing Christian people only talk about outside things. I never talk about it. Dear Christian people, wonderful folks, don't misunderstand me. I'll never talk about something over in the natural realm, in the sense realm, how they feel, what they see, what somebody said, how so-and-so's treating me, how badly I've been treated. I just walk off and leave them sometimes to talking. I just don't like it. Talking about how bad somebody's are doing. But I know a lot of things, but I don't talk about them. I'm not going to. I don't like to. I like to talk about spiritual things. Things on the inside. Amen. That's the thing that defeats a lot of people. Now, if you're going to grow spiritually, you're going to develop your spirit, you're going to have to become God inside minded. Now again, if we're going to grow spiritually and develop our spirits, our spirit nature, and God wants us to, and produce fruit, then we must become righteous conscious. We must become righteous conscious. I think really personally, even in my own experience, of all the truths that's given to us in the Pauline epistles, and unveiled to us by the Spirit of God, I think that there is none that equals this fact that I'm sharing with you. You see, the church, I saw this years ago and quit it. In fact, I'll tell you exactly. Way back in February of 1951, I was praying down in Alabama, a whole meeting down there, 
And I thought I'd been praying about 15 minutes. I opened up my eyes and looked at my watch, and I'd been praying over three hours, three hours and 15 minutes, lost in the spirit of prayer. And in that time, the spirit of prayer, the Holy Ghost took me through the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians and talked to me about carnal Christians. See, I was always seeing their carnality in he said to me, the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to me, if that had been you writing that letter to those Corinthians instead of Paul, you would have said, you bunch of backslidden buzzers need to pray through and get right with God. <laughs> and up to that time, that's exactly what I would have said. He had hit the nail right on the head, but he just turned me around, headed me the other direction that day. Oh, you listen to me. And I saw where we'd missed it. You see, we preach to the, the saints like they were sinners. And they're not sinners, they're saints. And it's produced a sin consciousness and a failure consciousness and an unworthy consciousness in them. And the ministry of the church at large has preached a psychology of unbelief and doubt instead of faith and love. It's created the problems that we face today. Then somebody comes along like me telling people the real truth and they'll sit there and look at you like a cow at a new gate. Said he's come up with some kind of new doctrine. The church has preached sin and weakness and failure so long that we become failure conscious, weakness conscious, and unworthy conscious. And so we've struggled for faith. We've tried to believe, and all of our struggling's been in vain. We found ourselves weaker than when we first began, and we wondered what the reason was. Well, I'll tell you. It's because we did not know that we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ and that God the Father looks upon us as though sin had never touched us. And when he looks at us, he sees his own nature in us. When he looks at us, he sees us in the beloved. Jesus is the beloved. And I'm accepted, the Bible said, in the beloved. I just look a whole lot better in him than I do out of him. See, you can't see me in him. You look at that expression in him and in Christ all through those Pauline revelations and, and, and those epistles, and it'll change your life. See, that's the way he sees me. When he looks at me, he don't see me like you see me. He sees me in Christ. He sees me robed with his righteousness. Accepted in the beloved. Praise God. That's what the Bible said. Now notice 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Never will forget when I found this scripture. I'm sure glad I was unconsciously led to get into the epistles and live there. And I got a hold of this scripture. I couldn't believe it at first. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made, that we might be made, that we might be made, that we, we, we didn't make ourselves. He made it. That we might be made. Why? The righteousness of God in him. By the new birth, he has made us his righteousness. And he says that he's made us new creatures. That verse I quoted earlier, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And God said that he made me. He's the one that made me the righteousness of God in Christ, that he made me out of righteousness and holiness of truth. Well, I just couldn't believe that when I first read that. Ephesians 4.24, read it for yourself. I must be what he says I am, or else he's a liar, one of the two. Now notice what he said in Ephesians 4. Did you wear your shouting clothes? Ooh, if you can't shout over this, don't be a shouting over some old unbelieving song. Now notice. And that you put on the new man, 
That's that new creature he's talking about. Which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's King James translation. The margin of my King James translation says, is created in righteousness and holiness of truth. That's us. That's me. That's what God said about me. That he made me the righteousness of God. I didn't make myself that. He did. And he said that he created me. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. New creature, margin says, a new creation. Who did that? Man, no. God did. And he said he's created in righteousness and holiness of truth. That's me, praise God. Well, become righteousness-minded. Conscious that he is mine, that I'm his, and that all he said in his word, he'll make good. I am the righteousness of God. That's who I am. I am the righteousness of God. He made me the righteousness of God. Him that knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Amen. Well, if I'm the righteousness of God, I found it out many years ago, then I can go into the throne room of God without fear. Used to, I'd try to slip in very timid-like. Maybe he wouldn't even notice me. But I can stand in the presence of Almighty God without any sense of weakness or failure because he's invited me to come boldly. Look at Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come timidly. Let us therefore come full of fear. Let us therefore come awkwardly. Let us therefore come belittling ourselves. Let us therefore come crawling in on our all fours. Let us therefore slip up to the back door of heaven like a tramp and see if we can beg God in the notion of giving us a handout. Is that what he said? No. No, let us come boldly. Woo! Let us come boldly. Let us come boldly. Let us come boldly. Let us come boldly. Hallelujah. Let us come boldly. That means without fear. That means without timidity. That means without intimidation. I remember my grandmother from the natural standpoint is a very bold person. In depression days, now, you young folks don't know anything about that, but folks, you know, no work, hundreds of people out of work. People would just really steal anything that's loose. People were hungry. They was out looking at night for something to eat. You could hear people all around the house sometime, all hours of the night. My grandmother used to tell them when she first came from Tennessee to Texas, it's settling up Texas, and her and Grandpa married. I think about some of these girls nowadays, what in the world would they have done? And Grandpa was a school teacher. He went to what they called summer normal. They, you know, went to school in the summertime to, for three months, almost three months. And the school in those days was only eight months. 
And way out in the country, way out in the country, she stayed down there by herself, just a young married woman in her early 20s in a log cabin. They, they'd just got married. They hadn't fixed it up yet. He had to go into the city where the school was, but she stayed down there to keep everything going. Before winter got there, they would chink up those, uh, those, those logs, but now you could stick your hand through them, you know. And in the nighttime, she said, out there by herself for three months, way out in the country. They were still wild animals around. They said wild cats had come up in the yard and yell and scream and all kinds of things. Well, she came up that way. She was bold. I remember there in Depression days, and you'd hear some sound around out. She wouldn't wake Grandpa up. Somebody out in the backyard, she'd just open the door and God said, I heard something out here. Now, come on out. I know you're there. I'm not afraid of you. Come on out. <laughs> She'd walk all around the house at four o'clock in the morning. Said, you don't scare me a bit. And they'd run, take off. She's bold. Somebody else had hid under the bed. They'd come in and got them. <laughs> they couldn't understand that kind of boldness. Amen. That's the truth. I've seen her do that. You know, as a little kid, I was scared and shaking because something's going on out there. And she'd just undo the door and walk right out there. Bold, no fear, without fear. That's what he's talking about here. Let us come boldly. Hallelujah. Where? Come boldly. Where? To the throne of grace. To the throne of grace. Now, you will not be able to do that unless you become righteous conscious. Come boldly to the throne of grace. That's the very throne room of God that you may obtain mercy, that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Mercy is available and grace is available. Hallelujah to Jesus. I remember my own experience. I didn't always know this, but many years ago I found it out and all fear left me. I know there's a lot of good books on the subject, but I got it out of this book. Praise God before I ever read it somewhere else. And when I knew that, when I found that out, then fear left me and I was bold. Up till then, there was even a fear about me, even though I was preaching divine healing, I had a fear that sometime I might get sick again because I'd been paralyzed. No, it's a terrible thing to be paralyzed, not be able to move. But when I found out the truth, I was no longer afraid of disease. I was no longer afraid of old age. I was no longer afraid of physical infirmities. I was no longer afraid of the lack of money. Not afraid of anything. Because blessed be God, I know who I am in Christ Jesus. I know what I have. I know I have a right to everything he provided for me. Praise God. Can you say amen? amen. The days of weakness are past. The new day of grace is arrived. He is to me what he says he is. And I am to him what the Bible says I am. I like to say it. I've said it 10,000s of times through the years. I am what God says I am. I have what God says I have. I can do what God says I can do. Praise God. And you'll have to say that if you're going to develop your own spirit. Say it out loud. I am what God says I am. I have what God says I have. I can do what God says I can do. I am healed. I 
Because God says I'm healed. I am well. Because God says I'm well. I am strong. Because God says I'm strong. I am the righteousness of God. Because God says I am the righteousness of God. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Because God said the greater one's in me. The source of all power is in me. Greater is he that's in me than any force that can come against me. Greater is he that's in me than any difficulty I face. Greater is he that's in me than any problem I face. Praise God forevermore. You understand something. Now how could Paul say when I'm weak then I'm strong? I know exactly what he's talking about. And I know when I met my ministry grew, you know, and the first time in my ministry stood before 5,000 people, boy, I felt so weak. But instead of me thinking on that, you know what I did? I began to think, greater is he that's in me. Greater is he that's in me. The greater one's in me. He'll put me over. He'll put me over. He'll make me success. My wife and I went up to New York this was the second year we was over. We had the second year of school over at Sheridan. We went up to uh, New York City, Thanksgiving time, to preach at Full Gospel Bidding Men's Convention. They came out there at Full Gospel Bidding Men to pick us up. We went in on Tuesday. And so we were going to, uh, you know, our wedding anniversary is the 25th of November. And, and so they carried us to the hotel. And, and then Brother chapter president and also one, well, one international director said, Brother Higgins, he said, see, Mr. Kuhlman was still alive then and she was going to have on Wednesday night this miracle service. And he said, Brother Higgins, he said, Miss Kuhlman's had a flare up of that heart business and said, she can't come, you got to take her service. Oh, I thought, what in the world am I going to do with that? <laughs> what in the world? I thought he was kidding me. Oh, I said, no. You know, you're just a joking. I'm not going to take a service. Read his afternoon service, Wednesday afternoon. And I said, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, he said, he said, she can't come. And I called Nima Shikaran. He said, well, Brother Higgins, just let him have it. Well, I thought, I'm not reading evangelist myself. I'm a Bible teacher. She's an evangelist. I do have and have had ever since 1938. The word of knowledge and, uh, and gifts of healing, very limited, would, would operate that way as it did in her. But I, uh, I'm primarily a teacher, see? And actually, I attract a different crowd. <laughs> Amen. That's right. That's true. That's true. That's true. And, and, and what am I going to do with that crowd? They didn't come to be taught. And you know, people, no insinuation at all. It's true. If you're an evangelist, that's just your office. And, and an evangelist is a more of a spectacular office and more flamboyant. I'm not the least bit spectacular. <laughs> Or flamboyant. You know, what am I going to do? I thought they didn't mean it, so I, I got busy talking to the Lord about it. And he said, well, just give them what you've got. You can't give them what she had. You don't have that. Give them what you have. Such as I have, give I thee. 
Besides that, you know as well as anybody that the greater ones in you. Just trust me. Just trust me and let me do it. You know, it's just the greatest joy in the world just sort of lean back on him. Or just lean back on him. Just let him do it. So I just took my text there from Acts where Peter said, such as I have, give I thee. And I talked about what she had, God, and how God used her. Don't use everybody alike. Then I talked about what I have. I can't give you what she had, but I'll have to give you what I've got. And I've got the word. But you know, lo and behold, just being, I'm a teacher, I said, and just giving people the teaching. Here come a lady down the aisle pushing her wheelchair. Just got out of it and pushed it down the aisle while I'm still talking. Hallelujah. And then here come, here come some folks with another lady. They'd got her out of the hospital. Her sister and her sister-in-law had brought her. She is full of cancer. Besides being full of cancer and dying, her body was broken out. The cancer had eaten through in several places. And they brought her out there. But blessed be God, it all cured up while I was talking. All the place where it was eaten disappeared. Brought her right up on the platform instead of being weak and emaciated and dying. There she was full of vigor and life. Hallelujah to Jesus. But you see, you could have been defeated very easily. But I remembered, greater is he, greater is he that's in me. The greater one's going to do it. I'm not going to do it. The greater one's going to do it. Just lean back on him in the hard places and laugh your way on through. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, I know you get to looking on the outside, you're liable to get scared. But when I'm weak, then I'm strong because I lean back on the strong one. Hallelujah to Jesus. Just lean back on him. He'll hold you up. He's the greater one. I don't know whether helped you or not, brother. I preach me happy. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah to Jesus. concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3.